We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This time, Ann Gleaton is coming to introduce our special guest today. Thank you. Good morning. Do you remember a few weeks ago I said, save the date? Well, this is the day that I wanted you to save and be here. And so I am so glad you're here. And I am delighted in a moment I will invite Jamie and Jessica Dunning forward. But I just wanted to share a tidbit or two with you. Um, I was reading recently in the book of Ezra. And I was reading about him and his work of restoration. And I came across this scripture in Ezra and my contacts are blurring and I can't read. Okay, <laughs> I, I apologize, sometimes that happens. Um, but it said that Ezra had set his heart on the law of the Lord and that he committed himself to live it and to practice it and then do one more thing. He went and multiplied it into the lives of the people of Israel. He taught the commandments. He taught the statues. He lived it before the people. And he held it up before the people as their standard. And as I read that, Holy Spirit brought to my mind Jamie, Jessica, Dunning. And he and I, Holy Spirit and I, had a conversation. And I listened. And I said, yes, they have committed their lives. They have set their heart on the Lord. I was just reminded by them that they attended Emmanuel College and were part of Emmanuel Singers. And they were here 18 years ago in the other building with the crown of thorns above it because they remembered. They said, this is not the building we were in. And I said, that's right. In 2001, we were on North Monroe. 18 years have passed, and they are here to share with you the awesome work that the Lord has done in and through their lives in Kenya and Ethiopia. They help break the darkness that is over Kenya. We sang that song, God is pushing back the darkness. He is lighting up atmospheres and villages through the work of Jamie and Jessica Dunning. Poverty is broken. Do you remember back in May of last year, I brought to you the need that there was in the Tana River Delta region a huge flood. 200,000 people were displaced. A hundred were killed. And it was Jamie and Jessica that had sent out the plea. I brought it to you because these people needed food. They needed rescuing. I showed you pictures. Do you remember? Of them and Jess, uh, Jamie in the boat with some other guides getting them to the flooded areas. The Lord touched your heart and you gave just dollars under $1,900. This is the couple that was doing the work and sharing the grace and love of Christ. The Lord has so enlarged their heart with his compassion and his grace that they are going to share with you all that he has been doing and continues to do in and through their lives in the people of Kenya. Thank you, Jamie and Jessica.
Thank you so much, Miss Ann, for that beautiful introduction. And thank you all, Pastor Steve and Yvonne, for having us today. It is our joy and our privilege to be in worship with you. As Miss Ann said, we are the Dunnings. I'm Jessica, my husband Jamie. Our kids are on their way out at the moment. Sophie and Ethan, could you just, Sophie and Ethan, could you come just for a second so they could see your beautiful faces? This is Sophie, our oldest, is nine years old. And Ethan, our youngest, is seven years old, um, and they are a big part of our work. So I just wanted to introduce them before they head off with Kid Powers. You can go. Miss Ann was telling us right before the service all that you do as a church to support missions, not only our family in Kenya, but missions here in the U.S. and worldwide. So I just wanted a moment before Jamie brings the message and tells you more about our ministry to thank you for that. You are an integral part of the work that we do, and we could not do it without faithful supporters like you. So please hear a sincere thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all that you do for our family and for all that you do for missions around the world. It's quite phenomenal what this church is doing. We are so honored and a privilege to be a part of that with you. Um, we will be outside after the service and would love the chance to shake your hand or give you a hug and um, meet you. And at that time, I'll also have some magnets with me that have a picture of our family. If you would like to, take one, put it on your fridge. It's a great way to remember us um, and in your prayers. Prayers are an essential part of what we do. And trust me, we feel your prayers when we are living and working abroad. It's an honor and joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, as Jessica said, it is our delight to be here this morning. Thank you so much uh, for giving us this opportunity, for standing with us, and for entrusting us uh, with this sacred space. Uh, we just wanted to take a few moments this morning uh, to give you some background and an idea of the type of work uh, that we feel the Lord has called us to do in Kenya. Now, I want to give a few, um, a bit of background information before I start. And that is, whenever we say the word we today, we're going to talk about the work that we do. It's very important that you understand that that we refers to far more than just our family. It refers to far more than just us. When we say we, we're referring to ourselves, we're referring to the network of people in Kenya and in Ethiopia that we partner with uh, on a daily basis that are pouring their lives into their communities. And it also includes a network of partners around the United States and other parts of the world that are standing with us in prayer and financial support. And of that, this church is a very important part. So anytime today I say we, please know that I'm also talking about you. Because the investment that you have made into our work, you are an integral part of what we do. And so we want to say thank you and let you know that you're a part of this and making this possible, as Ms. Ann has said. Also, uh, we want um, to kind of give you an idea of the, the area of focus um, that we work on. Whenever you hear the word missionary, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I always thought of a missionary as this uh, single person or maybe a family that left their home, went to a foreign country to, sh to tell people about Jesus. And, and that is what a missionary is. Um, but the truth is, uh, we're all missionaries. 
You and I, every one of us, are called to share the love of Christ, to share a gospel, no matter where we find ourselves. Some of us are called to leave home. Some of us are called to leave our community. Some of us are called to stay right where God has placed us and share the love of Christ with people. So when we say missionary, again, it's all of us. We're all called to the radical calling of sharing the kingdom of Christ with people. Now, the calling that we have, there are many different approaches to missions. Um, We have people that go and plant churches. We have people that go and do evangelism. We have people that run Bible schools, people that provide water wells, people that do orphanages. And we need all of those different approaches to ensure that the kingdom is continuing to grow and flourish. But this morning, we just wanted to share with you um, the area of focus that God has laid on our hearts and to give you an idea of what we do and why we do it that way. Many of the churches that we partner with in East Africa are filled with members that are facing immense challenges every day to provide for themselves and for their families, some of them living in extreme poverty. Many of the pastors of those churches also pour nearly everything they have into their ministries, leaving very little for their personal and family needs. In addition to this, the ministries of those churches, children's homes, feeding programs, schools, outreach programs, they walk by faith each day, trusting that God will provide for the tremendous needs that they face. Jesus' model of ministry was concerned with the whole person. It was a holistic model that was dedicated to meeting the spiritual, physical, and social needs of people. And he calls us to share this concern and to be dedicated to a holistic model of ministry. So the question we began to ask ourselves is how can we partner together to better equip and empower our brothers and sisters to live full and healthy lives as they work towards the building of God's kingdom? We continually attempt to prayerfully discern how we can stand alongside them, invest in them, but to do so in such a way that doesn't negate their capabilities and their desires and their will. Often there's a, there's a temptation um, for people who do missions work or even development work to arrive to a place and to say, hello everyone, I'm here, I'm the, the foreigner, I'm the, the American, whatever, I'm the missionary, I want everyone to now listen to me, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And the truth is, we've really felt God saying, people need someone to come and stand alongside them, shoulder to shoulder, in it together, walking hand in hand, trying to find an answer. Now typically, when we're facing extreme poverty, the answer has been to offer support through charitable aid. And aid is critical. There are times when it is absolutely the appropriate response. As in cases of disaster, as Miss Ann was saying earlier, conflict, extreme needs, and other emergencies. And this is an important component of the work we do. Uh, one thing that we do is we oversee a child sponsorship program to an organization called People to People Ministries, and I think we have a slide for that. Through People to People Ministries, we oversee a child sponsorship program of nearly 200 children. Now, the majority of these children are a part of the community and orphanage feeding programs that we partner with, And some are the children of rural pastors that desperately need extra support to meet the needs of their families. These funds 
assist with meeting the educational and nutritional needs of families. Another area we focus on, which Ms. Ann mentioned earlier, is relief distributions. During times of extreme droughts, flooding, outbreaks, and other disasters, we're able to partner with local ministries to help alleviate some of the effects of this devastation by providing supplemental food items, mosquito nets, medication. We're also able to assist in meeting immediate needs, such as building facilities like classrooms, dorms, proper toilets. Aid is an important part of the work we do. However, aid alone can be problematic. It can create dependency, but even worse, it can actually stifle the creativity, the ingenuity, and the capabilities of individuals. There are countless examples of, around the world of well-meaning charity actually devastating local economies and stifling local indigenous solutions to chronic and persistent issues. Charity is necessary. It's an important part of our Christian duty. However, as the leader of uh, the world's leading microfinance bank once said, charity alone is not a solution to poverty because it takes the initiative away from those that are poor. It takes the control out of their hands. So instead, we attempt to invest in building the, locals in capacity, the local capacities and capabilities of these individuals to create opportunities for growth and development in a process that is guided by them. This is done through relationships and partnerships that honor their dreams, desires, dignity, and independence. After all, as C.S. Lewis one wrote, once wrote, the proper aim of giving is to put the recipient in a state where he no longer needs our gift. So we try to build these relationships and partnerships on respect and mutuality. So what does this look like in practice? Well, in our work in East Africa, we've begun to explore ways to develop partnerships like the ones I've described. And we've done this in a variety of ways. These include microfinance loans, grants and gifts for sustainable development, and educational opportunities. Microfinance loans and grants for individuals and pastors are small, interest-free loans that can be used to start small businesses. Uh, the loans have to be paid back, but within an allotted amount of time, but the payments are invested into providing loans for others. So in giving back, they create a network that's pouring into one another, into the community. Uh, on the screen, you'll see a few examples from Ethiopia. This is a, a small shop that was started by one of our pastors, um, a cattle rearing business by uh, Bugali and his wife Melissa, and a chicken project that was started by Desalan and his wife Lydia. Uh, another example that I'll give a little more detail is George. He's on the next slide. George lives in the western part of Kenya with his family, and as you can see, he has a large family. And this part of Kenya, uh, it's still very rural. Many people still live in mud huts um, with, with grass roofs. And George, in order to provide a better life for his family, came to Nairobi, which is the capital city, so that he could find work. Because his oldest son, Peter, in the red shirt, um, was going to secondary school. And he wanted to be able to pay for the education fees. Now, this photo was taken, at this point, about eight years ago. So George came to me. I got to know George because he was working as a gardener in Nairobi. And he said, you know, I really want an opportunity to better my family situation 
but I'm just not able to get ahead. But I have this vision to start a sugarcane farm in my home region. And so we talked about it and we made a plan and we decided to give George a small one-time loan so that he could rent three plots of sugarcane in order to farm and harvest and then uh, make some income for his family. After a few cycles of harvesting and planting, harvesting and planting, he had made enough income to not only send his son Peter through high school, but he was also able to build a proper home for he and his family. Because Peter was able to go to high school, he performed exceptionally well and was recognized by a university in Hong Kong where he received scholarship to go to Hong Kong and study. Once he arrived and he did so well, he was able to complete his degree, graduate from university in Hong Kong, and get a job that he was able to then use to provide support for his family back in Kenya. And this was made possible by one small loan to rent three small pieces of land to grow sugarcane. George had the ability. George had the education. George had the knowledge. He just didn't have the opportunity. And so we feel God calling us to help partner in helping these dreams to come to fruition. A second area are grants and gifts for sustainable development for our programs and ministries we partner with. Now this involves providing ministries with initial capital to invest in income generating activities for sustainable development. The local ministries of our churches, our feeding programs, schools, shelters, children's homes, they introduce their communities to the love of Christ through the provision of basic needs, medical care, and education. However, many of these ministries struggle to fund and sustain their work. Every day, they wake up praying, God, where are our needs going to be met today? So our goal is to equip these ministries to be more effective and efficient through sustainable solutions and income-generating activities. Uh, you see a few examples of these. We've done chicken projects. Um, actually, um, Pastor Yvonne, the one on the, I guess your left, that's a chicken project at one of our schools. She visited the school uh, in Ruai just a few weeks ago. And then on the other end, we have a water project, a water kiosk selling water to a local community. And in the middle, we have Hosanna Children's Home, which she also visited. And this is a home of around 65 children that recently started a dairy project that provides milk each day for the children to consume, as well as enough milk to sell. The money saved through milk production, as well as the profit from the sales, sustains the project while giving a supplemental income for other needs. Uh, the cow that we bought, um, which the children lovingly refer to as the sheriff, I'm not sure um, why they chose that name, but that's the sheriff, uh, she also gave birth to a healthy female calf several months ago, which will start providing milk for us in the future. So we got the blessing of getting two for one, uh, which we we're really excited about. But this is an income generating activity that helps them meet their own needs, not always having to look uh, where is it going to come from. Another area that we're very excited about that you as a church have helped us with is the Tana River Village Community Agriculture Projects. Tana River Delta is in the eastern part of Kenya. It's close to the border with Somalia and it's also part of it is on the Indian Ocean. And it's a region that faces many challenges. It's remote and isolated. It has very little infrastructure. They suffer from perpetual droughts, but it also faces the threat of flooding 
whenever heavy rains come to the highlands. This is terrible situation where they will get no rain themselves, but they will wake up one morning to standing water because the highlands um, have caused the rivers to flood. These people face constant challenges in regards to their health, nutrition, lack of employment, and the government, because this area doesn't have a lot to offer, the government almost is forgotten. They don't really invest in this area very much. It's also a predominantly Muslim area. Through a partnership with one of our local partners, uh, a guy named Bocha Hussein, who is in the photo you're seeing, we've been able to develop and God has opened doors for us to begin working in these communities. Now Bocha is from this region. He speaks the Orma language. In Kenya we have close to 70 different languages. Most Kenyans speak uh, Swahili. They learn English in school, but they also all speak a mother tongue depending on what tribe they're from. So in this area you have predominantly uh, Morma and Pokomo language speakers. So he speaks the Orma language and he was raised as a Muslim. When he was a teenager, he had an encounter with Christ and he converted and was renewed and became a new person, but this forced him to have to leave his home. A few years later, he felt God calling him to return because he felt led to share his faith with his people. So now, Bocha and his wife Hadija live and serve among the villages in his home area, building relationships and sharing their faith with people. So through our relationship with Bocha, we've been able to conduct emergency relief distributions in times of flooding and in times of drought. But we realized God was calling us to find a way that we don't, these people don't always have to seek outside help for their constant needs. And so through conversations with the people, we started invested in community agriculture projects by providing a well and an irrigation system the community, the first one we worked in, a village called Paponi, was able to start farming and producing their own food. So we then moved to a second community called Gardini, which is the one that's uh, pictured. Now these projects had expected and unexpected benefits. When we started the project, we were expecting that it would help meet the needs of the community, as well as open more doors for Bocha to share his faith. And it has. It's provided the communities with food, meaningful work, and hope. Additionally, it opened tremendous doors for Bocha to share his faith with members of these predominantly Muslim communities. He has been told that it is obvious that he and his Christian friends care about them, so they want to know more about Jesus. And in each one of these communities, he, is now, he has small prayer gatherings in the evenings with small handfuls of secret believers. It is making a tremendous holistic impact. But there was one unexpected benefit, is that these projects have had an incredible impact on the women in these communities. Now many of the women in this region do not have much control over their lives. Their husbands, religious leaders, and village elders make most meaningful decisions for them. However, in this village, uh, in the previous slide, called Gardini, the men in the community were not interested in the agriculture project. So we partnered with this group of seven women. The women oversee the management of the entire project, and they collectively decided that all of the harvest would be sold, and the profit would be distributed equally among every household 
in the community. There are 54 households. And so they decided that at each harvest, they would sell everything. And at first, I didn't agree with them. I thought, no, you should, you should consume the food. And they said, well, then we're making a decision for other people what they're going to have and do. And so we believe we want to harvest it, sell it all, split it evenly among every household, and let them choose what they most need, whether it's school fees, whether it's food, whatever they most need at that time. And so they decided that even though it's a small group of women managing this farm, that every house in their community was going to receive a blessing every time they harvested. So the last time I visited, which was in uh, April, just before we came to the States, I was discussing the program with them, and of course I was focused on the logistics and the planning components of the project. I wanted to know what their harvest yields had been, and what their profits were, and how much each household received, and what their next planting cycle would be. But I was surprised when they told me that everything we were discussing was important, but it wasn't the greatest benefit they had received through the project. They said the greatest benefit of this project was that it had given them their dignity. Because it gave them something that they could invest themselves in. It gave them something that they could control, something that they could lead, something that was theirs. And the beauty of it was that they were using that to bless everyone else. It empowered them. And through that, they were providing a blessing for their entire community. We've now done four of these projects. And the most recent one is in a village called Vumbwe, which you as a church have helped us with. Now we're excited about the project in Vumbwe because the woman that we're partnering with there, her name is Halima, and she is a strong Christian woman, and she has a heart for the Muslims in her community. And she's already had several women who have come to her and who have prayed to receive Jesus. And so she decided when we first uh, did the well, for Vumbwe, um, we found a location where we wanted to put it, and she decided that she wanted it further from the village, in a spot about 300 yards from the village. And I told her, I said, you know, it's so far, you're adding all of this extra work, you have to walk that far each day, every time you harvest, you have 300 yards. And she said, no, all of the women that I've chosen to help me oversee this project are either all believers, or they are people who are interested. And so we want to be far from the village so that as we're working every day, I have the freedom to disciple them. And we have the freedom to talk about Jesus. And we have the freedom to pray together because it would give us 300 yards of separation from the village. And so this project is not only going to provide these women with his empowerment. It's not only going to provide the opportunity to grow and harvest their own food, which will bless their community. It's also providing a, a safe space for them to disciple and pray and grow in their faith. And so we're very excited about these programs. Uh, we've recently upgraded all four villages to solar pumps um, because the cost of fuel pumping the water um, was quite high. So we've converted them to solar pumps. Uh, the final one we've uh, just actually done this week. And so we're very excited about this project and the doors that God is opening through them. Now, there's often a temptation to focus on the successful projects and to overlook the times when things don't go as planned. However, failures, which are natural, they are an important and critical step in growth because they help us to reevaluate and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us to new possibilities. There are often times when projects fail. 
Now, some of the reasons for this are uncontrollable, such as weather patterns, unstable government, conflict. And they can also be rooted in human error due to negligence or poor choices, bad decisions made by our partners or even ourselves. Because we found that even though uh, most of the people we partner with have great ideas and they have uh, certain uh, abilities, not everyone has uh, the natural gifting to run an effective business. I would imagine that if everyone in this room were given, if we were all given the exact same amount of income and we were put in the same location and we're all asked to start a business, there are some of you that would have thriving businesses. There are some of us that would barely get by, and there are some of us, probably me, that would be closed before I ever opened my doors, because not everyone has that natural ability. And so we started to realize that with some of our partners, that perhaps we should be focusing on areas that would help raise them up to better fulfill their goals. And so we've begun investing in educational opportunities that provide them a support network. One of these is the development of micro-business seminars. Now these seminars just teach a very basic background and how to develop a business plan, cast a vision, create a budget, and to save and plan for the future. They're a very introductory level, um, but they provide the individuals with a strong foundation on which to build their future. Uh, they're a work in progress. We've only done a few of these at this point, but there's a lot of excitement moving forward um, about these, and so we're excited about what God's going to do as another opportunity to connect with communities. Another solution we found is connecting partners with other educational opportunities. Now, I actually have no experience as a chicken farmer or as a dairy farmer, as a seamstress, or I'm not experienced in maximizing uh, corn production. However, there are organizations and ministries available that are. So we are attempting to find connections for our partners with knowledgeable individuals and groups that can build them up uh, and help them better reach their goals. One example of this, in the photo on the left, you see a photo of me and that's Bocha. And we're attending an, uh, an um, a seminar by an organization in East Africa called Care of Creation. It's a Christian organization that teaches sustainable approaches to conservation agriculture. So we're utilizing this ministry to better equip ourselves and our partners, kind of recognizing in humility that we all can grow, we all can learn, we all can find better opportunities to succeed. And uh, I often will attend with them and um, kind of show that we both need <laughs> the knowledge and the growth and the opportunity. Others include sewing classes, farming resources, utilizing government services that may be available, and university interns. We actually had an intern from a Kenyan university who agreed to go to one of our villages in Tana River for three months and pour all of his agricultural expertise into that community. In these situations, we serve as a bridge, connecting our partners with resources and individuals that can help them thrive. Now, these approaches are not always perfect, nor are they always successful. However, it's a holistic approach. And invest in the lives of people and their ministries through building their capacities and their capabilities. It's not always an easy approach. However, it's an approach that is concerned with their total well-being and long-term development so that they don't, they don't merely survive, but they thrive. This approach allows us to stand with our brothers and sisters in relationships of equality, mutuality, and respect, creating a space and opportunity for the gospel, for the love of Christ to impact lives 
and transform communities. This is our heart and our model of ministry in Kenya that we feel God has led us to. And so once again, we want to say thank you for this church, for your support and prayer, because it plays an important role in making this work possible. In the remaining time that I have left, I do want to share a few thoughts with you from the book of Luke. And this won't be a long sermon, it's more of a a compact thought. Uh, But I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to share um, with a group of Kenyan pastors on the call of the church to impact communities. And this is something that God has been really dealing with me and walking through with me the last few years of what is our purpose and call in our mission and in our ministry? What is our focus? What are we supposed to be? What is our goal? And so I just wanted to share that with you because hopefully it will provide a little more insight into what drives and sustains us. And it comes from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Starting in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on that Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and we thank you that you love each of one of us so dearly. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together, to encourage one another, to stand with one another. So we just pray during this time that your Holy Spirit would move in each of our hearts and you would help us to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would guide my words uh, and help me to, to follow you. And may we all be open to what you're saying. In your name we pray. Amen. As we read in this passage, Jesus has just returned to Galilee. But before diving into this passage, I feel like we need a little bit of background. It says he's just returned to Galilee. So where is he coming from? Where has he been? So if we look back at the passages preceding this one, we would read about Jesus' baptism in chapter 3, verse 21 through 28. John the Baptist was leading a movement, a movement of renewal and repentance and a recommitted Israel into existence through baptism, preparing for the arrival of the kingdom of God. Jesus appears and is recognized as the leader of this new movement. And as Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan, Luke records that he is marked by the Spirit and a voice of God saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. This moment is recorded to remind us and to show us that there is no doubt 
who Jesus is. He is not just another prophet among many. He is not just another teacher. He is the Son, the Messiah, and he is coming to establish the kingdom of God. Immediately after this, Luke records the genealogy of Jesus, which, I'll be honest, always seemed a little out of place to me. You have this huge moment where Jesus is baptized, there's a voice from heaven, this epic, climactic moment, and then the next thing you read is basically a family tree saying this person came from this person who came from this person, and it feels very out of place. But for Luke's purposes, this was very intentional, because this genealogy traces Jesus' origins back to David, back to Abraham, back to Adam. In doing this, he's reiterating that through the line of David, who was the celebrated and historic king of Israel, that Jesus is the messianic king of Israel. He's connecting that through the line of Abraham. Remember, God promised the blessing of all of Israel through Abraham. So he's connecting that through Abraham, Jesus is the actuality of that blessing, the fulfillment of of that blessing. And then he's connecting all the way back to the beginning of humanity and showing that through Adam that the blessing is not only for Israel, but it is for all the sons and daughters of Adam. It is for all of humanity. Luke establishes that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the weighted Messiah, and he is bringing the kingdom of heaven which will transform all of creation. Now, after his baptism, Jesus is led into the wilderness, which we see at the beginning of chapter 4, where he faces the temptations. He's tempted to turn stones into bread. He's tempted to throw himself from the top of the temple so that he would be saved. He's tempted to take control and receive all of the kingdoms of the world. Henry Nouwen, a, a Christian thinker and author, claims that these temptations of Jesus reveal the same types of temptations that you and I have every day. The temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, the temptation to be powerful. But Jesus rejected all of those temptations. And he demonstrated that his kingdom does not operate in the way that earthly kingdoms operate. This is a different kind of kingdom with a different kind of ruler. So when we read in chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, this is where he's coming from. This is what he has been through. Now with that background established, that he is the anointed Messiah, that the Son of God who is bringing the very kingdom of God to earth, we can look more closely at the passage we read earlier. It said, after returning to Galilee, filled with the power of the Spirit, he returned to his hometown of Nazareth. And he entered the synagogue, and he stood to read from the scroll of Isaiah. Now, in those days, they didn't have the nicely organized scriptures like we have. They had scrolls. And so he asked for the scroll of Isaiah, which was, uh, and and he found a specific passage he was looking for which was a messianic prophecy written in the 8th century, almost 800 years before. And so he got that scroll and he found the passage he was looking for and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. In our Bibles, that passage is Isaiah 62, verse 1 and 2. It says that he will bring freedom. 
Now the word that that was written in Greek is aphasis, and that means a lot more than just freedom. It, it specifically means release from bondage. It means those that are bound by spiritual forces or physical forces or emotional forces. It means freedom from those bondage, those things that bind us. And he announces that this is good news specifically for the poor. Now in Hebrew, the word for poor, A-N-I, ani, it meant much more than just people who don't have a lot of money. It's much broader than the English word poor. It referred specifically to people of low social status. People with disabilities, children and women in some cultures, the elderly. It referred to social outsiders, people of other ethnic groups and backgrounds. Anyone who has been oppressed, marginalized, or pushed to the edges. According to this passage, these are the poor. These are the ani. And yes, that also includes those who don't have a lot of material wealth. And Jesus is claiming that the kingdom of God is especially good news for these people. Immediately following this, we see in chapters 4 through 8 a series of stories that illustrate exactly what this good news looks like. Now, I won't take the time to read through those chapters. I would encourage you to spend some time if you have the chance. But we see numerous examples of healings, Examples of Jesus' grace for outcast and those that are oppressed. It's almost like Jesus makes the announcement and then immediately says, Now follow me, I'm going to show you what this looks like. And he goes through the countryside healing and blessing and raising up. Luke is showing us in this gospel that Jesus' kingdom brings restoration and healing to all. It welcomes outsiders, welcomes outcasts, expands the circle of people that get invited into the healing power of God's kingdom. Because the religious people of his day did not feel that it was open. In the middle of these chapters, in chapter 6, Luke records a teaching of Jesus that some have called the Sermon on the Plain. Because it's very similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which Matthew records. And some have referred to the sermon as Jesus' manifesto of the upside-down kingdom. And I love this title, the upside-down kingdom. Because the kingdom of Christ does not operate in the same way that earthly kingdoms operate. As we look at this teaching from chapter 6, verse 12 through 26, we read Luke's version of the Beatitudes that say, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject you because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. This teaching is upside down. Blessing? In poverty, satisfaction and hunger, joy and sorrow. When I'm oppressed, I should leap for joy. This is upside down. And then Jesus goes on and he teaches about loving our enemies. A very counter-cultural idea. Not only in that period of time, but throughout human history. It's a very counter-cultural idea to love enemies. It's very upside down. Following that, he teaches against the judgment of others to a people who are in a society that the entire law is based on judging others. 
It's a countercultural, upside-down teaching. And these teachings illustrate that the kingdom of God is not like earthly kingdoms, where the rich and the powerful, the privileged and the elite are preferred. In the kingdom, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And this is very good news. This is good news for those of us who know what it feels like to be marginalized, who knows what it feels like to be less than, who knows what it feels like to be on the edges. It's good news for us that are in a position to be an active force in making a difference because God is inviting us to be participants in establishing his kingdom and seeing his priorities come to fruition. This is good news. Jesus is calling us to be a new alternative people of God, very different from what the religious leaders of Israel had become. It was a kingdom of people that practiced radical generosity, that put the needs of others before their own, that practiced servant leadership, using their positions of power to serve, not to exploit or oppress. A kingdom of people that are committed to peacemaking and forgiveness, a kingdom of people that are deeply spiritual and committed to their faith, but reject religious hypocrisy. It's a kingdom of people that are called to walk in humility, justice, and mercy. A kingdom of people that are known by our love. Now this radical kingdom that Jesus was teaching, and his claim, his claim to divine authority, created resistance and aggression among the Pharisees and among Israel's religious leaders. His teaching was a, a threat to their religious traditions and their sense of authority and power. They were committed to the status quo. They resisted Jesus' claims because if his teachings were to be implemented, that would disrupt the religious and social order that was well established. So the religious leaders revolted against him. They began to call him a heretic. They began to call him a blasphemer and a drunk and a sinner. They rejected his kingdom call. They rejected him. They rejected his teaching. And ultimately, this contributed to his death. But the kingdom of God has the last word. For in his death and resurrection, Christ conquered sin, he conquered death, and he affirmed that this kingdom, this kingdom of spiritual renewal, this kingdom of physical renewal, this kingdom of emotional renewal, this kingdom is eternal. And the values of this kingdom are eternal. Therefore, we, as followers of Christ, must be known as a counter-cultural people that, uh, that extend the grace and love of God to everyone we encounter. That is my heart. That's my heart for the church, for the church in Kenya, for the church in the States, for the church globally. That's my hope for myself and for my family, for each of you, to see social, physical, and spiritual transformation in our own lives and in our communities. My hope is that we will continually daily see his kingdom come and that we would accept the divine and unique responsibility and opportunity he's given us to walk with him as he reaches out to others to be a force of change in our communities in our world thank you for giving us this opportunity to share 
Asante sana namungwa wabariki sana, um, which is Swahili for thank you and God bless you. Uh, we love you. We love this church. Uh, we look forward for the opportunity uh, to speak with you afterwards. Uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Miss um, Ann to come back up. Father, we love you and we thank you for the love and the mercy that you show each one of us every day. We thank you that you are a God who loves and cares for every individual that you have created. We thank you that you're the image of God is at the heart of every single one of us. And we thank you that you've invited us to be participants in the work that you're doing. We pray, Lord, that you would go before each of us. Help us to walk in your ways, to know you, to hear you, to follow you. That we would be a people that embody your love, that embody your grace, and that would use us in our communities and in our world to introduce people to your revolutionary love. We thank you and we praise you, for you are a good God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Do you remember back in February, I offered you bottles, Thirsty for God's Overflow. In January, Pastor had begun teaching sermons about receiving, anticipating, moving in God's Overflow. And so when the, the need for the Bumbwe village's well to be dug was presented, I presented it to you. And I know that many of you have been saving, thank you, Pastor Steve and Yvonne, a lot of coins. So your children, if they brought their bottles or their boxes back, have been given the opportunity to share them with Sophie and Ethan, and, and then they'll give them to their parents. But today, right now, we have an opportunity to sow into two different areas. Ushers, would you come forward, please, to receive our special offering? Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.